0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Empowerment, knowledge, living on less than what you make. That's what we're about here on the Clark Howard Show. So you expect from me advice and guidance that'll help you do those things. But what happens if I fail to deliver? I need to know. If I don't give you good guidance, you feel like I'm missing part of the story, or I'm just plain thick-headed, I want to know. So if you go to Clark.com, you can go to Clark Stinks and post where you feel I didn't deliver for you and for others. Others can read what you post, they can comment on it, and they can agree, disagree. And then weekly, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you here on the air.
1: I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should
2: be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
3: Maybe you're right, pal.
2: Alright, I have you a got? couple from the email bag, I guess we'll call it, to read first. All here right. is one from Joanne. She says, please stop telling people to use good RX at Costco. The prices are higher than the Costco prices and it causes a lot of time and tension between the pharmacy people and the consumers. It is good at other pharmacies that have a huge markup. That is all.
0: Thank you for that. And what I do is um, I actually waste the time of the pharmacy techs at Costco and I ask them the price both ways because it saves Costco money if they don't have to pay the commission to GoodRx. Rx. But many times... The good RX price actually does save money below the already low Costco prescription price.
2: Barbara says, Clark provided advice to a father who was trying to help his daughter select a college. Both colleges were about the same cost. Clark advised that she should select a, the school, and if it didn't work out, she could transfer. While this is true, transferring sc- schools is a possibility. It can come at a cost to the student and her family. When students transfer, especially between institutions that don't have a transfer artic- slash articulation agreements, they can either lose credits altogether that they earned at the first college or have those credits only count toward electives and general studies requirements. And they uh, linked to a couple of articles, borrowed a link to a couple of articles, and said another thing to consider is that age packages for transfer students are often not as lucrative as those the institutions offer to their incoming freshmen so the costs can go up for a transfer student even if his or her financial situation hasn't changed from year to year. Clark should exercise caution when advising to transfer.
0: Okay, I appreciate everything you said. I never want someone to feel trapped where a parent made the choice for them. Since the schools were equivalent in cost, I think there's a greater likelihood that a child will enjoy the school and want to remain if the kid gets to make the decision between the schools instead of the parent making the decision, and I don't want a kid to feel like because of all the issues you raised that they're trapped where they first choose. And yes, there can be dislocation, disruption, maybe in an, even an additional semester in college when you do transfer because of lost credits, but I want a college student to know that he or she is not trapped at a school where they're miserable and that transferring is an alternative.
2: This certainly is not to condone the recent slip up by Marriott in their data breach, but to correct a statement that Clark made, he stated that the breach was second only to the Equifax data breach. However, many other sources actually point to the number one that the number one offender was Yahoo, not Equifax. I agree that Equifax has never paid the price for the severity of its breach, but the number of users affected by Yahoo's breaches were several times more. Thanks for all you do.
0: Thank you very much. And I don't want to minimize the Yahoo breach, which involved over a billion accounts worldwide, but the difference was the Yahoo breach required a lot of work from a crook to be able to cause real mischief in your life beyond kind of surface mischief. And, the the breach at Equifax didn't require any heavy lift from crooks to be able to cause great havoc for people. The Marriott breach affecting half a billion people, gosh, that's a lot, um, involves so many layers of data that it makes it a more penetrating breach for your privacy and your identity, in my opinion, than the Yahoo breach. But all these things are mind numbing after a while because we've been in breach after breach after breach.
2: Love your show. been listening for over 20 years. One of your callers said his state retirement did not extend to his wife. If he passed, you went on about life insurance. My husband told me the same about his retirement when we were married, but we went to the retirement office in our state. They said he was correct, but changes could be made. So happy. We found out. So we made changes to his plan, and now, so, and now some of the monetary benefits will continue if he passes, which means his health insurance coverage on me continues as well. Thank you for
0: that, and I hope that uh, when I was answering that call that I didn't mislead other people as well. So the deal is it depends on the state plan, state retirement plan, whether benefits continue after the uh, pensioner's passing away and what alternatives you have in order to either continue to have an income stream like the life insurance policy or whether under the state pension plan or retirement plan, if you can modify what the current pensioner receives so that there will be benefits that continue for the surviving spouse.
2: Clark, you recently stated debit card vulnerability is not the numbers on it and there is no reason to scratch off or remove the last digits from the card. How wrong can you be? There is a real advantage to removing the numbers. If you lose or misplace your card or someone steals it, they can go hog wild making internet purchases. You don't need to swipe the card for internet purchases. You enter the card numbers and the CVV code on the back of the card. Can't you see, indeed, there would be a big security advantage to physically remove the numbers from the card? You also said new cards don't come with numbers on them. Why do you think that is, Clark? Even the card issuers recognize the advantage to removing the numbers from the card. Thank you very much
0: for that post. You are completely right. And I should have acknowledged that there is potentially an advantage to wiping off the last four digits of a debit card. So if it does fall in the wrong hands, the criminal doesn't have that information to do just what you said online purchasing as if they're you
2: hi clark i love your show but when you tell people they should wait until 72 and a half to take social security 70 i feel that you have left out relevant information which could change your answer true you would get more money per month by waiting but you fail to account for all the money you could have received and invested during the time you waited Therefore, you should tell people what the break-even point would be, i.e., how long would it take for someone retiring at 66 to catch up to the earnings of someone who retired at 62, assuming the person at 62 reinvested all of his income at, say, 3% annually. I once figured it out, and the break-even point was 69. But you but you all figure it out. Also, if your family doesn't have a history of living past 69, it'd probably be better to take Social Security as early as you can. The break-even kid.
0: Thank you to the break-even kids. So there's many, many issues involved with when people take Social Security. I'm very stark about it for one reason. People overwhelmingly take Social Security at age 62, and later in life, if they are blessed with long life, they don't have enough money coming in every month from Social Security. So when you're younger and still able to work some amount, maybe more than you might want, is an advantage to delaying so that later in life when maybe you're not physically able to, you get a larger Social Security check. And that doesn't even account for the benefit to your spouse when you wait to take Social Security. But the thing I want you to do is I want you just to think and see whether there is an alternative better than taking Social Security at age 62 or 66, and waiting instead till age 70. I recommend anybody approaching retirement, use the Social Security tools that socialsecurity.gov has available to you, or if you really want to dig deep, pay $40 for MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com, and you can run hyper-personal exact answers on your individual situation as to the ideal time to claim Social Security benefits.
2: Clark, I heard your recent discussion about your wife's choice to feed a designer dog food. I yeah. think this is how you described it. Yes. I would recommend that you and your listeners ask your veterinarian for their recommendation, and chances are they will not recommend the more expensive designer dog foods. I am not in no way qualified to solicit any special medical recommendations for your animals, and neither is the designer dog food marketing department. Your veterinarian is the most qualified to make these recommendations. Much like your dog's human companion, you, your dog can develop food allergies, upset stomach, obesity, diabetes, and countless other health-related problems from their diet. Will, listening on KRMG in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: Thank you very much, Will, and I appreciate that. We have a follow-up visit at the vet for one of our dogs who has a bad ear infection in 10 days. And I will ask that question at that appointment if we do need to buy the designer dog food or not. I appreciate all your posts. Today, Krista, unusual number of posts that were very, very specific in response to things I'd said and very helpful to your fellow listeners, our fellow listeners. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you taking the time to post. Please do so at Clark Stinks on Clark.com. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tim. How you doing?
3: Hi, Clark. It's an honor to be on your show.
0: Well, great to have you here. You and I are going to share a common tale of woe that happens when you rent a car today.
3: Yes. Yeah, uh, Clark, I'll tell you, I have enjoyed listening to your show for many years now, uh, almost decades now. You and I are about the same age, so I've really enjoyed listening to you over the years. Thank
0: you. So uh, you got burned, like I did, on going through a toll road or a toll bridge with a rental car. Is that true?
3: Yes. Yes, Clark. Can I tell you a little story about this one? Sure. Go right well, ahead. Thanks to you, Clark. You've kind of educated us over the years on what I need to do to rent a car. And my wife was in an auto accident, and so we we're... Oh, I'm looking-
0: sorry. Is she Okay.
3: Yeah, you're you're so sweet. No, everything went fine. The car the car is banged up, but okay. the, the kids and the and the and my wife are fine, and that's all I can appreciate here. Sure. And uh, but I need the car fixed, and thanks to you, uh, I did my 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 Clark duty here. I took photographs of the uh, car before I had it. She kind of rolled her eyes at me, you know, when I did that. And I said, by the way, we live in a neighborhood where we have a lot of tolls, and my wife loves taking the toll road. Oh boy. And. <laughs> and they said, no problem, uh, it's just regular customary tolls, it'll be on account, we have an account with this big rental car company. And I thought, well, it, you know, it's on my credit card anyways, why not? But lo and behold, uh, a month later, I get a bill for $172.04 for toll charges for about uh, 12, 13 days.
0: So uh, that sounds that sounds about well as it, that sounds about correct. I won't say that sounds about right. So they were charging uh, fifteen ninety five a day.
3: Well, it looked like they were charging about uh, five. This one charged five ninety five a day, and I do have a transponder, but of course it was in the car that's being repaired. So I did what Clark's told us to do. I immediately called the agent. Said, "Hey, this is not what." We agreed to, I thought I had custom- she said customary toll charges, and uh, I, they said, no problem, just call the the company and tell them your toll account." so I spent an hour on the phone dealing with that, and that got me nowhere by the way
0: oh but i have I- i've i've not only have I seen this movie, I have been in this movie i've I have the same exact storyline and so they they're very um very they're not, not polite. I mean, they're very matter-of-fact when you talk to them at the, I'll use this term loosely, servicing bureau that they shunt you off to, and they say, well, it's you know, it's in your contract.
3: Well, it was a surprise to me, because that's not what we agreed to. That's not what she told me. It was probably in the mice type that I didn't read, but she told me customary charges. I thought it was customary charges. I didn't think there would be any problem with that. And uh, I did do the next step that Clark has told us to do. I sent an email to Investor Relations, and I got a response—a very professional response. But essentially, it says, "I apologize. You were given incorrect information as a toll convenience charge of five ninety-five a day uh, are never waived."
0: Yeah. So, so let me tell you the story. And you were doing. A great service for your fellow listener. Um, to give you the the comparison, I got hit by one of these for 1595 for the day. Oh my goodness. And the toll itself was a dollar fifty. And it was my navigation that let me down because I when I'm in a rental car, I always tell my navigation no tolls. And it ended up taking me to this place in Portsmouth, Virginia, where the only way I could get to my cousin's wedding on time was to go through this tunnel. And I'm like, oh, I know this is going to cost me. But I didn't expect it to be fifteen ninety five plus the toll. There are lawsuits about this, about the unconscionable rates the car rental companies are charging. They're all hiding behind the lingo in their contracts. And all you and I can do is inform others that this is the dirty pool that the car rental companies are playing. And what I've recommended when you rent a car is if you are going to need to use tolls, go buy a prepaid toll device, you know, because prepaid devices are sold pretty much all over the place. And you buy that and you have that in the rental car if you're going to have it as an insurance replacement rental or something like that. They are not going to break precedent and do anything for you because then if that gets out, they're worried that others will just make a lot of noise and it'll kill a profit center for the car rental companies. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And today is Pearl Harbor Day. For me, at the time that I grew up, It was the most significant day each year where we remembered what happened on that day and then over the next four years of World War II, and it is a day that for many people does not hold relevance or significance because of when you were born. For many other people, September 11th, 2001 is the day that will always tear at your heart, as it does at mine, but the era I grew up in today is so significant and important, and there are very few people still left alive from World War II, and it goes without saying how grateful I am to the brave men and women of the U.S. military and others of our allies who fought back against the darkness of the Axis, which was The Nazis and Adolf Hitler, the emperor of Japan, and the dictator of Italy, Mussolini, and the people who showed bravery beyond measure. And I want to make sure that I mention again, because so many people who have been born in recent decades have no idea the significance of what happened on December 7th, 1941, now we are closing in on Christmas. We have, what, 18 shopping days left till Christmas. And a lot of people running around in a frenzy to buy. And as you may have heard me say, in my family, we are not buying any holiday gifts at all. The decision we made as a family is we are buying gifts for children who would not have gifts otherwise this Christmas, specifically we're buying for foster children, and we're doing that instead of doing things where we're buying things for each other. And so the thing that we give each other instead is time together. We also, as a family, do uh, charitable community functions together. So we are contributing and doing what we can to help others through this holiday season. But a lot of people may be tight on money. And that's why. Because that's not why we're not buying anything for each other. We're doing it for a different purpose. But what if money is really precious and tight in your life? Well I want to congratulate a friend of a friend of our producer, Kim, named Catherine who put together, uh, she's one of those people who's into the uh, simplicity movement, what sometimes referred to as minimalist living, and she's put together a list of the kind of things you can do that cost almost nothing. That if you think about the greatest thing in life or experiences, and you put on top of that through the holiday season from Thanksgiving through for people who celebrate Hanukkah to uh, Christmas to New Year's is time that you get to spend with friends and family. And being able to do things just fun, particularly for children, is really great. So she has a long list of suggestions of activities you can do with kids, fun things that they will experience and remember depending on their age for some amount of time and the list is divided by categories things you can do indoors things you can do outdoors things you do together learning from each other in a fun way so many activities probably around 60 different activities are on this list and Kim, you were particularly touched by your friend of a friend. Do you want to give some examples of the activities that you were like, hey, if I was still a kid, these are the things I would want to do?
1: Absolutely. Well, her name is Catherine, and I do want to give her credit. And I think she posted this as over 100 Altogether, well, Over a hundred? Yeah. So my math
0: estimating skills are terrible.
1: Well, I mean, you're just like trying to count jelly beans in a jar, basically. So I think you are forgiven. But some of the things that really struck me, my, my absolute favorite thing was a category that she called share your skills. So if you know how to juggle, if you know how to sew, if you know how to whistle or bake, what a great gift to give a kid to make a date to go over to their house and teach them something that you know, something that they might end up really adoring and that maybe one day they can teach
0: someone else. Loved it. So I've never been able to blow a bubble with bubble gum. Really? Mm -hmm. And I've (laughs) never been able to whistle. Hmm. You can do both of those things.
1: I am a terrible whistler, but I can make a sound come out of my mouth, usually with a little bit of spit as well. Oh, that's so that's you don't a want me whistling. Thought, yes. you don't want me whistling around you, but uh, yeah, I can blow a pretty good bubble.
0: Yeah, I can't do that. How about you, Joel? Can you can you whistle? Yeah, of course. I didn't know that people couldn't. Oh, really? oh, oh, oh <laughs> what a terrible thing to say. I'm superior. I didn't even think there would be people who couldn't do that.
4: Oh my oh goodness. Man.
0: Oh so my anyway, goodness. we have a link for you to her list at clark.com because if you have a case of the guilt that money's tight, I don't want you to have that feeling of guilt. There are so many different ways that you can present a present to a kid other than a present. And your presence is usually the best present of all. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hello. How are you?
5: Grateful for another day,
0: Clark. Well, good for you. So, John, you have a question for me about something that means you are having some wonderful financial success in your life.
5: Well, I'm hoping to have that uh, financial success soon, but I, I believe in planning ahead, so I contacted uh, my current house and car insurer, and, uh, sure, and asked them to uh, quote me on an umbrella policy, which I've heard you recommend many times. And they said, uh, basically, we've had two fender bender accidents in the past couple of years, and therefore uh, we were not eligible under their criteria to receive umbrella policy coverage
0: At least they were really honest and cut you off at the knees right there and said, because of how you drive, we aren't wanting to take on the risk.
5: Honesty is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, usually with an umbrella policy, if your principal insurer will not take one on, they usually will have someone they can refer you to who will maybe charge a higher premium, But we'll write that umbrella for you. The other alternative is, in the meantime, um, did they tell you how long you had to wait before they would issue an umbrella for you?
5: Um, They were not very specific, sir.
0: Really? That's a pretty basic piece of information to share with you.
5: Well, they basically said sometime in 2019, which could be a month month or two from now or it could be 14 months from now
0: that's Um, soon enough that's soon enough if you've never had an umbrella before then i would just wait it out a little bit but i'm disappointed that they could not be more specific with you how long was it the last fender bender
5: um last one i think was like a year ago a little bit less than a year ago, maybe.
0: So it's probably like right about a year from right now before they'll their underwriting will let them write it. And I'd rather okay. you... I know this is weird, even though for people who have a lot of assets, I'd like for you to have it. I'd rather you have continuity and give it the year and have it with the insurer you already have for car and homeowner.
5: Uh, what's your cutoff for... Um Uh, getting umbrella insurance
0: so this is how i decide you become a real target for potentially getting hit with a serious lawsuit once you've got uh several million dollars in assets and unencumbered like if you own your home free and clear it's a risk if you um have a lot of money in an investment account you're at risk so uh, that's when the lawyers, you know, they do a lot of digging online. They might have an a, a outside service they use because let's say someone comes to them and they've been uh, allegedly injured in an accident and they allege you were at fault. Before that uh, lawyer they saw on TV wants to take the case, they want to know what kind of deep pockets there are with the insurance company and then what kind of deeper pockets there may be for you. And so, are you, give me, if you could, in round figures, what your net worth is at this point.
5: Oh, uh, uh, probably about 500000
0: Yeah, I wouldn't worry appreciably yet. And you always have the option with your existing auto and homeowner's insurance to increase your liability coverage with those, even before you take on the umbrella. So it's okay to wait the year and then at that point um, go ahead and add the umbrella insurance but at this point you're not somebody who the lawyers are licking their chops over that they're going to try to come after and try to take as much as they possibly can from you ed is with us on the clark howard show hello ed Hi, Clark. Uh,
4: First-time caller, but I've had five Clark Stinks read on the show. Really?
0: Yeah. What's your favorite Clark Stinks that Krista has read?
4: Okay. Maybe the one on paying for college expenses with Roths. You just don't want to take money out of a Roth in the year you file a FAFSA because it counts as income, and so it increases your expected family contribution
0: that is true but you know the family contribution is still figured on so much more favorable a scale than a kid's contribution but it is to your advantage to wait till um if you can wait till senior year to pull roth money or at least junior year
4: yeah right it's now because you're filing the fafsa for a year behind the junior year will work But my question is, uh, why is private mortgage insurance called private? You know, every kind of insurance you buy, homeowners, auto, um, umbrella, uh, is private insurance unless it's flood insurance or something like that, but they never call it private. Why do they call private
0: mortgage insurance private? The reason they do is to draw the distinction of the difference in how an FHA loan works versus any kind of what's generally referred to as conventional loan. Uh So
4: it's it's called an MIP,
0: uh, 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 Mortgage Insurance Premium, with FHA, and then with a loan that is uh, ultimately sold to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which is most mortgages in the United States. Uh It's just always been referred to as private mortgage insurance, meaning that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac used to not, be nationalized so the term private mortgage insurance now is only by tradition because there's virtually no private mortgages left in the United States with FHA being government loans and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both being uh, essentially government loans Mm -hmm. so it's just obsolete language but the distinction is when I say PMI that means that it's a non-FHA loan, pretty much. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, Clark. And uh, does that explanation lead to your sixth Clark Stinks? Uh, (laughs) I've got about two or three queued up I'm going to write, but it's not going to be on that. (laughs) Fantastic. I appreciate it, because you know why I love them so much that you take the time to do it, Ed. It's how I learn and how I get better at what I do. Right. So you keep writing them. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question at clark.com slash ask. Those questions either you ask me directly on the air or Joel asks the question for you. All right, Clark. Judy wants to know, which charities are good ones to donate a car to? I wish you had asked that question. Is it a good idea to donate a car to a charity? Because the most efficient thing from a tax standpoint, if you are able to take a charitable deduction on your income tax, is for you to sell the vehicle for what you can get for it and then donate the proceeds and you get that amount, what you donate, as your tax deduction. If you don't um, specifically care about the tax deduction, then I would go based on when you Here's somebody soliciting you to donate a car or something like that. I would go to one of the three, or it won't take that long to go to all three. Check out any organization you're considering donating a car to at uh, Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, and or Give. They're all dot .orgs. You'll be able to see a charity you're considering donating a vehicle to. If they spend the money that they get in donations wisely or not, or if they are, in fact, even legitimate charitable organizations. The reason you heard me sigh and all the rest about donating a car to a charity, a lot of times the charity will only get $25 for that car you donate. The rest of the money goes to whatever jobber that they contract with who picks up the vehicle, Uh, transports it and disposes of it, and so the charity is getting only a tiny fraction of the money from the vehicle you've donated. All right, Clark. Ralph says, Clark, you briefly mentioned that one of the most looked at items regarding insurance and how much people pay was the zip code they live in. However, before going deeper into the conversation, you quickly changed the topic to IRAs. I'm really concerned about the insurance cost and zip code issue. You mentioned that as much as $400 a year difference in premiums could arise due to what zip code you live in. How do we figure out when, this, when and where this is happening? So you really can't necessarily figure out If an insurer is specifically gouging you on auto insurance or giving you an exceptionally better deal because of your zip code, because it works both ways. So the only way you know is by comparison shopping. And you won't know specifically because of zip code, but insurers use different reasons like how much they assign to zip code, how much they assign to your credit score, how much they assign to how many tickets or accidents you have. It varies from insurer to insurer. So the only defense against what's happening behind the curtain is to comparison shop for auto insurance, and then you're able to figure out who's cheapest. You won't necessarily know who's using zip code as a big factor, but it will certainly help by comparison shopping. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.